0: Let's pray this morning. Lord, we, we are waiting here for you. We know that there is no power uh, in anything else, in any person else than Jesus Christ. And Lord, we pray that today. We pray, God, that you would rain down your fire on us, that you would send revival to our hearts, that you would send revival to our church, and that you would send us out into the world to change it. To bring your kingdom to this earth. We pray for today, Lord. We pray, God, that you would just be in the message. That you would speak through me to our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, welcome this morning. I just want to welcome everybody. I especially want to welcome cafe worship this morning. I will not be in there, but uh, I am with you right now. So uh, awesome uh, to have you here with us this morning. My name is Matt Betts. I'm the youth and young adults pastor here at Woodburn Baptist Church. Uh, some of you, it's probably been a long time since you've seen me in, in this service. Cafe, uh, doing cafe duties and things like that. Uh, I've, I've been in and out uh, quite a bit over the last nine months or so. Um, so I appreciate you letting me come back and hang out with you guys on a Sunday morning. Um, go ahead and turn your Bibles to Psalm 51, Psalm 51. A number of people have asked this morning about Dawn and the baby. She is great with child, okay? So if you see her this morning, encourage her. She has been struggling the last few days. She's due this week. Uh, so she's just ready to have, have that baby, that youngin. So uh, I'm not going to tell you what I was, well, I will. I telling somebody, I said, the other day, I was like, man, she ain't pregnant. She's just been eating a lot. So uh, I know, I know some of you are like, oh, 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 yeah, she slapped me down for that. Uh, but it's all right. It's all right. I can take it. I'm a man. Uh, so uh, in two weeks, in two weeks, Life Action will be here. I hope that you are clear in your calendar for, for those meetings and that group to be here. It's going to be an incredible couple weeks. But the problem is this. Revival doesn't always come with a series of services and with a group coming into town. It it comes to people who are ready for it. It comes to to people who have been prepared and have prepared their hearts and prepared their lives to to have revival. And that's when God gives us revival. So today, uh, Tim wanted preached, to preach, and and I'm excited about preaching on revival and just getting our hearts prepared. The title of the message today is Broken, is Broken. And uh, so let's let's dive into this thing and, and talk about what it means to be broken. Let me ask you a question. What do you think of when you hear the word broken? What do you think of? Broken heart. That's right, a broken heart. Has anybody in here ever had a broken heart before? Raise your hand. All right, all right. You may think of fractured, shattered, any of those kind of things. What about a broken leg? Has anybody ever had a broken leg before? All right, broken nose. Yeah, that stuff hurts, don't it? Just kind of, just painful, hurtful. And uh, but let me ask you another question. What do you what do you think about when you hear the words broken over sin? Broken over sin. Some words that we hardly ever think about, words we hardly ever hear from anybody, uh, ever. And when I think of the words broken over sin, I have to think of of this psalm, Psalm 51. And I want you to hear a man's words and his heart uh, when he is broken over his sins. Look at Psalm 51. We're going to read the whole passage here. Psalm 51, verse 1. Have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love, because of your great compassion, blot out the stain of my sins. Wash me clean from my guilt, purify me from my sin, for I recognize my rebellion, it haunts me day and night. Against you and you alone have I sinned. I have have done what is evil in your sight, Don't keep looking at my sins. Remove the stain of my guilt. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence, and don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and make me willing to obey you. Then I will teach your ways to rebels, and they will return to you. Forgive me for shedding blood, O God, who saves. Then I will joyfully sing of your forgiveness. Unseal my lips, O Lord, that my mouth may praise you. You do not desire a sacrifice or I'd offer one. You don't want a burnt offering. The sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and repentant heart, O God. Look with favor on Zion and help her, rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, then you will be pleased with sacrifices offered in the right spirit, with burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings, then bulls will again be sacrificed on your altar. Do you hear the the pain in his his writing in his heart and his voice? It's kind of interesting at the very end there he starts talking about and he starts praying for Jerusalem, and he starts praying for the other people and he, and he he brings in the sacrifice element again. I thought that was kind of interesting as I was reading back over it this morning. And it's amazing that that he could not get to that point until he prayed for himself, until he sought revival himself, in restoration himself. And that's the truth of us also. If we're going to have a revival as a people, as a church, if we're going to see God really do something in our midst, it starts with me, it starts with you as individuals. and it's, it's where we get along with God, where we as individuals are broken over our individual sin, not just the sins of the people in our pew, the sins of our church and the things that are going on there, but what's going on in our own lives and our own heart. But who is, who is this? Does anybody know who this is that, that's, that wrote this Psalm? It's David, but what is he talking about? Why is his heart so broken? Why is he so broken over the sin that he has committed? What is the sin that he has committed? Let's go back and look at it. 2 Samuel chapter 11. 2 Samuel chapter 11 and 12. So, you know, a well known passage of Scripture. It's, it's this. It's this time in David's life. Of course, David was, was king of Israel. He was a, supposedly a man after God's own heart and, and the most famous king that Israel ever had. And he comes to 2 Samuel chapter 11, and, and some things began to happen in his life, which were, were interesting things. Some sin came in his life. Uh, it kind of starts like this. David was supposed to go out to war the country had gone out to war and and David stayed behind uh, just to stay behind he says in, in verse number one in the spring of the year when kings normally go out to war David sent Joab and the Israelite army to fight the Amorite, uh, Ammonites they destroyed the Ammonite army and laid siege to the city of Rabbah however David stayed behind in Jerusalem so he stayed there uh, behind while the army went out and did their thing well while he was there he went up on his roof one day and as he was walking around his roof, these flat top roofs and everything, he, he noticed someone. He looked across the street and he saw a woman bathing herself. And he, and the Bible says that she was of unusual beauty. She was gorgeous. And he couldn't take his eyes off of her. So he sent somebody to inquire of who this woman was. And he found out that her name was Bathsheba and she was married to, to a man named Uriah. And so he... That didn't stop him one thing. He said, I want you to go get her and bring her to me. He's the king. He can do that. So they bring Bathsheba to David. A few days later, a few weeks later, Bathsheba says, David, I'm pregnant. David's like, oh, no, this is a problem. So he sent Joab a message, and he says, listen, I want you to send Uriah home. That's Bathsheba's husband. Send Uriah home, and uh, and I'll fix fix this. So Uriah came home, and and David's idea was, okay, Uriah, I want you to go to the house and relax. Hang out with your family. Spend some time with your wife. And then you can go back to battle because you've done such a good job as a soldier. David's scheming. So Uriah, being a very honorable man, sleeps at the, the palace gates. He's like, no, my, my guys are out there fighting a battle. I'm not going to go home and do anything. So David's like, oh, my goodness. He said, Uriah, why don't, you, why don't you do this? Hang out for one more day here and, uh, and take another little rest. Just relax a little bit longer. Well, this time, David's like, okay, okay, I'm, I'm going to fix this. So, so he gets Uriah drunk, has a party, gets Uriah drunk, and he's like, okay, he'll go home now and do what he needs to do. And then everything will be fixed. Everybody thinks it's just Uriah's child. So Uriah does the exact same thing. He's drunk, but he ends up sleeping next to the gate again. He didn't go home. And David's like, oh my goodness. Okay, okay, okay. Joab, this is what I want you to do. Joab's the general, general guy of the army. Joab, this is what I want you to do. Go to the when, when you get back to the battlefield, you take Uriah and you put him on the front lines of the battle in the fiercest part of the fighting. And then when, when the fighting begins to happen, I want the whole army to pull back and leave Uriah up there by himself to die. So Joab obeys the king, because that's what you do. And Uriah goes out and they start chasing the army, and all this kind of stuff chase them all the way back to the city gates, and the archers over the top of the, the walls start shooting, and the army pulls back. But Uriah is standing there all alone with a little sword, like, and Uriah dies. And pick up the story here in verse number twenty-two of chapter eleven. So David knew what was going to happen, so. The messenger went to Jerusalem, the messenger that that updates the king on on everything that's going on in the battle, Uh, this is is what the messenger did. So verse 22, so the messenger went to Jerusalem and gave a complete report to David. He says this, the enemy came out against us in the open fields, he said, and as we chased them back to the city gate, the archers on the wall shot arrows at us. Some of the king's men were killed, including Uriah to the Hittite. This is what David says. Well, tell Joab not to be discouraged. The sword devours this one today and that one tomorrow. Fight harder next time and conquer the city. Okay, stop right there. Man, that is cold. That is a cold heart. He says, just tell, it's okay. You know, it's war. It happens. Um, Just, you need to fight harder next time. Just tell Joab, you know, Uriah was just, it it was destiny for him to die. You know, that, that one will go today, and another one will die tomorrow, but you just go conquer the city. So that's just a cold, cold heart. Verse 26, when Uriah's wife heard that her husband was dead, she mourned for him. She loved him. When the period of mourning was over, David sent for her and brought her to the palace, and she became one of his wives. Then she gave birth to a son, but the Lord was displeased. With what David had done. Man, is that a sad story? A king taking advantage of a family, taking advantage of, of a person. But the the thing is, is if if we are if we are gonna experience revival, we have to be broken. And in verse in chapter number twelve, we see something happen to David that is very interesting. In verse number or chapter twelve, verse number one says this. In, so the Lord sent, and I'll stop right there. Aren't you glad that, that God is a God who doesn't just give up on us when we sin? He, I mean, David did some horrible things, but the thing is, God thought enough about him, loved David enough to send somebody to him to enter his story to change his life and send revival to him so he says this so the lord sent nathan the prophet to tell david this story so nathan comes in to david's house and 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 nathan says david have a seat have a seat i've got i've got a story to tell you i heard this the other day i saw this on the internet and so nathan sits there and tells david this story there were two men in a certain town one was rich one was poor the rich man owned a great many sheep and cattle. The poor man owned nothing but one little lamb he had bought. He raised that little lamb and it grew up with his children. It ate from the man's own plate and drank from his cup. Isn't that like I just want something pink right now. I'd really it's just sweet. It really is He raised a little lamb and grew up with his children, ate from the man's own plate and drank from his cup. He cuddled it in his arms like a baby daughter. One day a guest arrived at the home of the rich man. But instead of killing an animal from his own flock or herd, he took the poor man's lamb and killed it and prepared it for his guest. Oh my. Verse 5, David was furious. He was just, he was so angry. He says this, as surely as the Lord lives, he vowed, any man who would do such a thing deserves to die. He must repay four lambs to the poor man for the one he stole and for having no pity. Oh, David was, he just, he, he was spitting nails. Verse seven, then Nathan said to David, you are that man. You are that man. The Lord, the God of Israel says, I anoint you king of Israel and saved you from the power of Saul. I gave you your master's house and his wives and the kingdoms of Israel and Judah. And if that had not been enough, this is one of the saddest statements in the entire Bible. If that had not been enough, I would have given you even much, much more. Why then have you despised the word of the Lord and done this horrible deed? For you have murdered Uriah the Hittite with the sword of the Ammonites and stolen his wife. Oh my goodness. Nathan sitting there in, in the chairs in, in David's living room telling this story about this, this rich man and this poor man and the lambs and how this rich man rips away the only th- only animal, the only precious thing that this poor man had, and rips it away and kills it and feeds it to somebody else. And David was furious, and he wanted that rich man to die. And then David looks at him and points his finger and says, you are that guy. you did the exact same thing, except you didn't do it to animals. You did it to a family. And after this, in, in verse number 12, he's in 13. And David confessed to Nathan, I've, I've sinned. I've sinned against the Lord. And out of that came Psalm 51. That's the background. And you read Psalm 51, you're like, oh my goodness, this is a man who is broken over his sin. He is broken over what he has done. And he desperately wants to get rid of that sin and be restored to a relationship with God. And if we are going to experience revival, we must be broken. I love the phrase in verse number 14, that It says, or 13, it says, Nathan replied, he knew his confession. He knew that, that his repentance was genuine. And Nathan told David, he says, yes, but the Lord has forgiven you. He's forgiven you. And you won't die for this sin. Like, like you wanted that rich man to die, David, you, you won't die for what you've done because God has forgiven you. He, he is going to restore you. He's gonna send that revival in your heart, in your life because you are now broken over that sin. You just didn't sweep it under the rug like you had done for weeks. Now you, it's all out in the open and we're ready to do something. We need to be like Psalm 51.10 says, create in me a clean heart, O God. In other words, God, you do what only you can do in me. Do the creator work in my heart. And so many times we think, "Oh my goodness, yes, we want revival," and we try to try to manufacture it and we try to, to scheme and, and push and, and pull to get revival. But the truth is, God has a different plan, and that plan is brokenness. He wants us to, to first, before he sends revival, before he sends His blessings, before he sends His presence, we've got to understand that we have sin, and we have to be broken over that sin. We have to see our sin for what it is. It's sin. So let me ask you this question. I'm gonna raise a hand a few times. Do you have sin? Raise your hand if you say, yeah, I have sin. Okay, very important question because I've been wondering this. Do I have sin? Raise your hand if you think I have sin. A few of you didn't, thank you. (laughs) My wife doesn't think I have any sin. Okay, strike that from the video. Make sure she doesn't see that in cafe. No, the truth is, is I have a lot of sin. Who sins? Who sins? Everybody. You think Pastor Tim sins? Oh, yeah. (laughs) Man, I'm with him every day. Woo! We're working on it, though. No, the truth is, is, is we sin. We all sin, and we sin a lot. We sin a lot more than we think we do. As I was preparing this in in, in youth services for the last about three or four weeks, we've been doing like a preparation of revival, and I've been preaching a lot of revival. So I've I've read a lot and prayed a lot and and tried to, to search my own heart a lot, and the more I realized, I'm like, oh my goodness, I've looked at my own life, and I'm like, man, I've got a lot of sin, and I know that if God's going to do something in me, I have to be broken over the big stuff, the little stuff, the in-between stuff that I, in my life. And I desperately want revival myself. And I can pray for the church all that I want, but if I don't want it myself and I'm not broken over my sin, it'll never come to the church, never come to my family. So we have to be broken over that. Someone once said this. This will tell you how much we sin, okay? Someone once said this. We cannot even do good deeds without sinning. Okay, think, think about the ramifications of that statement. Okay, have you ever helped somebody? And I've done this before. I'm just this guy, but I've helped somebody before, and you go away going, and I helped them. I did good today. Or you've done some good deed. You've, you've you know, you come to Care Night. You've never been to Care Night in your life, but you came to Care Night, and you go home, you're like, I cared for people today. I did good It is so true. We can do a lot of good stuff. But even in the good stuff, we have pride. And our ego jumps up and you're like, yeah, I'm the man. Look at this. Uh, And you're like, no, we're not. Isaiah 64, 6 says, our righteous deeds are like filthy rags to God. Not just our sin, not just the the terrible things that we do, not just the the bad thoughts that we think about people and, and all of that. The good things that we do are seen as dirty, nasty, filthy rags in the eyes of God. So if that's the case, man, we sin a lot. We just sin a lot. We have to acknowledge our own sin. Many times we think that, that sin is somebody else's problem. It's the person sitting next to us in the pew or the person behind us or the person across you going, Oh my goodness. I know what they did this weekend. But what about what we did this weekend? What about what we thought this weekend? What about the things that, that went through my mind this weekend? We forget that sin is not a, a somebody else's problem, it's ours. And when we allow sin to come in our, into our life and into our heart, we put up a wall and we are separated from God. And the problem is that so many of us, and myself included, we are very separated from God, from God. And we think we're really close to him, but we're really not. We're really not because sin continues to separate us. And the problem is, is, a lot of times we don't think of who we sin against. We sin not only against people, we don't we only sin against what, ourselves, but we also sin against God. In Psalm 51, verse number four, David says this. He says, against you and you alone, talking about God, have I sinned. I've done it. well, evil in your sight. Somebody tell me, what was David's sins? What did he do? Okay, we're gonna have to go back and read 2 Samuel again. What what did David do? Adultery, and then what he followed followed up with? Murder. That's a rough week. My man committed adultery and murder in the same week. The man after God's own heart. But he says in verse number four of Psalm 51, God against you, you alone have I sinned. Did he just sin against God? Now, I'm pretty sure he sinned against Bathsheba and Uriah. And I was, I was reading through this again, and I was like, it, it says in Second Samuel that uh, when they went out to war and they pulled back, that Uriah died, but a number of other Israelite uh, military died as well. So not only did David's sin affect Bathsheba and Uriah, but it affected a lot of other families also because they died and their, their kids lost their daddies and their wives lost their husbands as well. We forget about the ramifications of our sin, but we, we never take it the logical step that David does here when he becomes broken over his sin. in the realization that his sin didn't only affect Bathsheba and Uriah and the baby that ended up dying, but it affected God. It went straight to an offense against God himself. And we hardly ever take it to that, that step but we need to understand that we are sinners and our sin is against God. And you think, man, David did some bad stuff. He really did. He committed murder and adultery in the same week. He should be broken over his sin. He ought to be broken over it. Look at the bad stuff that he did. Flip over to Matthew chapter five, just for a second. Matthew chapter 5, verse number 21. This is Jesus talking. He says this Matthew chapter 5, verse 21. He says, You have heard that our ancestors were told, you must not murder. If you commit murder, you are subject to judgment. What did David do? He murdered. Verse 22, but I say, if you are even angry with someone, some translations call it hate. If you hate somebody, you are subject to judgment. If you call someone an idiot, you're in danger of being brought before the court. And if you curse someone, you're in danger of the fires of hell. I really wish... Jesus wouldn't have talked there. Because it's really easy to say, oh, my goodness, David committed murder. He should be broken. He should be judged. He should face God's judgment. But Jesus says, have you ever hated somebody? It's the same thing. Have you ever laid somebody out with your words? If you ever thought those things about them, guess what? You did what David did. Look at verse 27 of Matthew chapter 5. You have heard, here it goes again, you've heard the commandment says, you must not commit adultery. What did David do? Committed adultery. But I say, anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Man, why couldn't Jesus just have stopped and said, adultery's bad, okay, stay away from it. Why does he have to go to our thoughts? Why does he have to, to match up David's sins of that terrible week with our sins of our terrible day every day? Why does he have to do that? Why? And the thing is, we, we, we tend to draw a line and say, yeah, David should be broken. Yes, he, yes, he should face the consequences of his sin. But, but then Jesus says, yes, but but you've hated and you've, you've called people, you've cussed people out in your mind or in person. Or you've looked at women every day of your life to lust after them. And you're doing the exact same thing. He says, you got to understand, so you got to make that connection that, yes, David committed sin, and he committed sin against God. And that sin, Jesus says, is the exact same sins that we do. We may not fulfill the acts. We may, but we may not fulfill the acts completely. And Jesus says that sin also is against God. That's where we are. And if we're going to have revival, if revival is going to start, it's going to start start when we are broken over our sin. The little, the big, all of it is against God. Psalm 51, verses 16 and 17 says this, You do not desire a sacrifice, or I would offer one. You do not want a burnt offering. The sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. You will not reject. That means you will always accept a broken and repentant heart, oh God. We always want an easy solution or a shortcut. We want something to do, a class to go to, a list to, to mark off so that we can get revival. We want to make sure that we are we have done step, 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 and we've got revival. But the truth is, is this, we can do those things all day. And David says, we can do those things, and the Israelites did those things. They sacrifice, sacrifice, sacrifice. But David stops and he's like, God, you don't want a sacrifice. You don't want me to have a list that I check off. You don't want me to attend another class to get revival. You want a broken heart. You want a contrite spirit. You want to be you want me to be broken over my sin. We cannot be restored by God until we are broken over our sin will never be restored. Our families will never be restored by God until we are broken over our sin. God's got to break us. No one seems to be broken over sin anymore because it's not serious enough. It's not serious enough to be broken over. It's a mistake, it's just something we do. It's just, just a, the way that we are. And the truth is, God says, no, it's sin, and it's sin against me. Sin is not serious enough anymore. And the the great thing about it is a man by the name of Nathan, a prophet, came to David and changed David's thought about sin. David was completely fine with covering it all up and figuring it all out and setting his his sights on on Bathsheba and getting it all taken care of. And then then Nathan comes into his room and totally changes David's view on sin. Once David was confronted with his sin, he wanted nothing more than to get it out of his life and be restored. Look at verse 8. It says this. Oh, give me back my joy again. You have broken me. Let me rejoice. Verse 10, create in me a clean heart. Oh God, renew a loyal spirit within me. Verse 12, restore to me the joy of your salvation. And make me willing to obey you. He had a new view of sin. He called it a number of things in this passage. He called it sin a stain. He called it rebellion. He called it something that haunts him. He called it a sin against God, and he called it evil. In 2 Samuel chapter 11, you saw none of those things. It was covered up. It was beautiful. It was satisfying. In chapter 12 of 2 Samuel, it all changed. And it became nasty and dirty and a stain. Nathan changed all that. D.L. Moody said that we have to kill sin at the root. And the only way to do this is through true brokenness over sin. Not emotionalism, brokenness. He said this, without this, a man will go right back to the old sin. And that's the problem with us. It's the problem with me. So many times I've been sorry that I've been caught or I've been sorry for my sin, but I've never really been broken over it. And D.L. Moody says, that in order for us to get rid of sin in our life, we have to be broken. It kills it at the root. Not just crying over it for one service and walking out and being unchanged, but, but where God breaks us, we are crushed and fractured and shattered under the weight of our sin. God wants us to meet sin, the seriousness of sin, head on. He wants us to meet it head on. And he wants us to be restored and revived because of it. And that's the only way to revival. And it's so hard. It's so hard, but it's so necessary. Two weeks from today, we have a series of services. We've got a group. The promise of revival is not with those series, of services and that group. The promise of revival is to those who are ready for it. and it's to those who are broken over it. Um, I've got something up here. I did this in the youth Wednesday night. I've got a popsicle stick that says, "My sin." And the idea behind it is during our invitation time is I'm going to invite you as a church to come get a Popsicle stick and a pen and go to some place on the altar, on the stage, at your seat, against the walls, whatever. And take a pen and write your sins. Write them so that you see them. You know what they are. You're the only person that's going to see this. But you write your sins. Is it lust? Is it hate? Is it greed? Is it adultery? What is it? And you write your sins, and then you go and you pray wherever you are, wherever you're going. It doesn't matter, okay? This is not a formal thing. I'm a youth pastor. I don't do things formal, okay? But you go somewhere in this church. You go somewhere in your seat, whatever, and you pray, and you beg God to be broken over your sin. And then you take that popsicle stick and break it. Put it in your pocket, put it in your purse, take it away from here. We don't want to see it. We don't want to have them. But you break it and you tell God, this is what I need. I've got to be broken over my sin. For you to sin revival, you've got to break me. That's how we're going to finish the service off. Cafe, you have have the popsicle sticks also this morning. Psalm 34, 18 says this, The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He rescues those whose spirits are crushed. He rescues souls whose spirits are crushed. Everyone has sin. Everyone in this room has it. And we are all not as close to God as we need to be, every single one of us, from me all the way back. And we all desperately need to be broken over our sin. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercy. Lord, thank you that you love us enough to send people our way. You send words from Your word to us, Lord, you send messages, you send services to us that help us to meet the seriousness of our sin head on. And Lord, I pray as a church, as me, as an individual, that we would be broken over this sin in our lives so that you can restore us and revive us And make us what we are supposed to be for you. Break us today. In Jesus' name.